1: In the book of Revelation, Jesus warned the church at Pergamum about the sin of Balaam. Pastor Greg Laurie points out it's an apt warning for today's church.
0: The sin of Balaam is compromise. He wanted to do something even when God told him not to do it. And there are people like this today. They say, well, I'm a Christian. I want to go to heaven, but I kind of want to live like hell. That's compromise. That is the doctrine of Balaam. Don't Live that way. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, now sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the
1: angels are seen. This is the day, the day when life begins. The Book of Revelation contains a series of letters to seven different churches. It's the Lord's specific message to each of those bodies of believers, containing both commendation and criticism. Today on A New Beginning, we'll see the Lord would direct those messages to many of today's believers. It's one of the past year's most requested messages titled, The Seven Love Letters of Jesus to His Church. And we'll pay close attention to the kind of love He's talking about.
0: exactly is love. I think you're in trouble if you define love by what you've learned by listening to pop and rock songs over the years. For instance, uh, there's a song that says what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Then foreigners saying, I want to know what love is. And then there's a very weird song. Some of you might remember this, Yummy, yummy, yummy. I've got love in my tummy. But, but what is love? We talk about this love. It's in our tummy. We need it. But what is this love we're talking about? Well, another song answers that question by saying, love is a many splendored thing. Another song says, love is the answer. Led Zeppelin reminded we need a whole lot of love. And then Meatloaf saying, I would do anything for love. Personally, I'd do anything for meatloaf. Not the singer, but the actual food. And then, of course, Whitney Houston said, I will always love you. But then Phil Collins gives us a warning saying, you can't hurry, love. But, but why? Well, another song gives the answer. It says, that's the way love goes. Okay, let's review, try to figure this all out. Love is many-splendored. It's in our tummy. We need a whole lot of it, but we can't hurry it because that's the way it goes and it's what the world needs. Well, maybe the answer is found in this song title, I said I love you, but I lied. <laughs> maybe that's where the Black Eyed Peas saying, Where is the love? I think I have the answer because Adele has a song with the title, Send My Love to Your New Lover. Okay, now, now we see where the problem really is. And then Lady Gaga saying, Stupid Love, The Beatles saying, All you need is love, and then they broke up and sued each other. Another song warns, Too much love will kill you. And maybe that's why Deion Warwick saying, I'll never love this way again. And Tina Turner saying, What's love got to do with it? Concluding with the Jay Giles band who's saying, Love stinks. Yeah. So if you got your definition of love from songs, you're in trouble. Let me tell you what the Bible says about love. The Bible says, God is love. Is there any better definition of love than that? God is love. And guess what? God loves you. And he proved it by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. Jesus said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. God wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't want anything to break that relationship. And sometimes in his love, he has to correct us. And that's what we see in these love letters of Jesus to the seven churches. Enter the devil. Just as surely as there is a God in heaven who loves you, there is a devil who hates you and wants to destroy you. Satan wants to entice you and get you to break your fellowship with God. In fact, that is the devil's goal each and every day. He wants to get you distracted, defeated, and ultimately destroyed. Jesus summed it up this way in John 10.10. Speaking of the devil, he said, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to understand that there's a God in heaven who loves us, wants relationship with us. There is a devil headed to hell that wants to distract us and destroy us. And by the way, the devil never takes a day off. Wouldn't that be nice if we found out that Satan takes Mondays off? I think we'd still get ourselves into trouble, by the way, even without him tempting us. But be that as it may, the devil never takes a day off. He doesn't take an hour off. He doesn't take five minutes off. In fact, Revelation 12.12 says, the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing he has a little time. Listen to this. Even if some Christians don't necessarily believe it, the devil believes that Jesus is coming back. Now that should motivate us to live a godly life, but knowing his time is limited, knowing his days are numbered, Satan is trying to wreak as much havoc as he possibly Can, but don't let that scare you because the Bible reminds us greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. We need to be aware and we need to be prepared. So we're looking together at the book of Revelation. Remember, Revelation, it's singular, not plural, right? So don't call it Revelations. Revelation reveals, it unveils a lot of things. It unveils the afterlife, it unveils the future. It shows us a God who is in control of everything that is happening and is in control of everything that is coming. Revelation reveals the future to us, but Revelation also reveals us to us. It shows us what Jesus thinks of us in the church today and what we must be avoiding. In the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus identifies himself as walking in the midst of the church. So he's with each one of us. As you're gathering together, watching this, wherever you are, Jesus is there with you and he has something he wants to say to you. Now, seven churches are addressed by Jesus. He sends these love letters, if you will. We already looked at two of them. We looked at the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna. Remember, in Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus was a church leaving its first love, not losing it, because they knew where it was so they could return to it again. And maybe that describes you right now. You've had a passion that has been replaced by passivity. Your worship has been replaced by works. Your inspiration has been replaced by perspiration. Remember what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works quickly. I've summed it up this way. The three R's of getting right with God. Remember, repent, repeat. But then we come to the church of Smyrna, which is a suffering church. This time of church history when millions of believers gave their lives for the Lord because they would not say Caesar is Lord, but instead said Jesus is Lord. But rather than weakening them, persecution actually strengthened them. Know this the church has never been stronger historically than when it has been persecuted. When believers are persecuted, it seems they have almost a refining effect on them. I mean, I think if the believers weren't persecuted, they would have stayed in Jerusalem forever. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them in the day of Pentecost, it was awesome. And they would have just had a nice little holy huddle. But persecution began against the church, led in many ways by a man known as Saul of Tarsus, later to become the great apostle Paul, when he came to faith on the Damascus Road. But they spread out everywhere, preaching the gospel. And so to the persecuted believer, Jesus says, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Listen to this. One of the signs of the end times is persecution. Persecution. The the most persecuted people on the earth today are followers of Jesus Christ. And we even see persecution happening in the United States. So what should we do? How should we react when persecution comes our way? You might be surprised by my answer. If you're being persecuted, be happy about it. You're saying, what? Yes, that's what Jesus told us. Jesus says in Matthew 5.11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it, says Jesus. Be very glad for a great award awaits you in heaven. Isn't that great? Persecution is actually a confirmation you're a child of God.
1: You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. Today, Pastor Greg is helping us consider Jesus' specific messages to the seven churches of Revelation, including his counsel to the persecuted church. He continues now with his message from Revelation 2.
0: So now we come to a different kind of problem in the church. Satan realizes that he can't destroy the church through persecution. Instead of weakening them, they've turned into this lean, mean preaching machine. So he changes His tactics, and he decides to infiltrate the church. You've heard of the old expression if you can't beat him, join him. As we come now to our next church called the Church of Pergamos, the devil effectively joins the church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Read with me if you would. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write These things says he that has a sharp, two edged sword I know your works. Where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you, where Satan dwells. You know it's interesting that's mentioned twice. Where Satan dwells. Listen, the devil is not the equal of God. God is omniscient, which means He knows everything. The devil is limited in his knowledge. God is. Omnipotent, which means all-powerful. The devil has limitations to his power. And God is omnipresent, which means present everywhere, but the devil can only be in one place at one time. So if the devil's in San Francisco, he can't be in Moscow. And if he's in Moscow, he can't be in wherever. So the point is, he seemed to have set his seat up in this city where the church was. And what's happening here with this church is they're starting to compromise. It starts with little things and it ends up in big things. That's the way sin works. Little sins turn into big sins. Little compromises turn into big problems. Did you know that the venom of a baby rattler is more potent drop per drop than an adult rattler? I've seen baby rattlers in the wild, and, and they're just little. They have a little rattle, little fangs. It, you know, you want to pick them and go, look at the baby rattler. And he's just going kind to, of, oh, he bit me. It didn't even hurt. <laughs> feeling weak, feeling faint. <laughs> you know, don't mess around with sin. This is the problem with the church of Pergamus. is they were tolerant of sin. Look at verse 14. I have a few things against you because... You have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Okay, so who's Balaam and who's Balak? Balak was the king of the Moabites, the enemies of Israel. He wanted to destroy the nation Israel, so he hired Balaam the prophet. Now, I don't know where he found Balaam the prophet, Uh, I think you could spell prophet P-R-O-F-I-T instead of the biblical spelling. Balaam seemed to be a prophet for hire. So Balaam says, look, man, I want you to curse these Israelites. Curse them in the name of God so we don't have to deal with them on the battlefield. Incredibly, Balaam the prophet agrees. Yes, I will do that. Well, the Lord comes to Balaam and says, I don't want you to do that. But Balaam decides to do it anyway. So the next day he gets his donkey and he's riding along. And all of a sudden his donkey just stops and it steps. Balaam is like, come on, let's go. Let's go. And the the donkey stops. and, And then the donkey walks a little further and they're in between two rock walls. And the donkey slams up against the wall, hitting Balaam's leg. Now he's angry. Balaam pulls out his stick and he's beating his donkey. He's so angry. And the Bible says, the Lord open the mouth of the donkey who said why are you beating me that's amazing what's more amazing to me is without missing a beat being says because you're not doing what I want you to do then the donkey says haven't i been a good donkey haven't i always done what you wanted me to do them says yeah you know i have to agree you've been a very good donkey they're having this conversation Well, here's what Balaam didn't know. The donkey seemed to have more sense than Balaam did because the donkey saw an angel of the Lord with sword drawn. The angel's probably thinking, oy vey, I mean, this guy's talking to his donkey. Finally, the angel makes himself visible, and Balaam sees what's going on, but uh, the angel was trying to stop him. So Balaam didn't do exactly what Balak wanted him to do, but he came up with a little plan. He said, listen, Balak, I have an idea. Here's what you need to do. Get your really foxy babes from Moab to go sexually entice those young Israeli boys to come into their tents and make them worship at your little altars and you worship your false gods and they'll go for it and God will judge them. And that's exactly what happened. So what is this saying to us? Well, Balaam, the sin of Balaam is compromise. He wanted to do something even when God told him not to do it. And there are people like this today. They say, well, I'm a Christian. I want to go to heaven, but I kind of want to live like hell. I still want to party. I still want to cheat. I still want to lie. I still want to do whatever I need to do or whatever I want to do. And, and God say, no, that's compromise. That is the doctrine of Balaam. Don't live that way. So we need to follow the advice Jesus gives here to Pergamus, Verse 16, Repent, or I'll come to you quickly and fight against those with a sword of my mouth. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. It says God's wake-up call. Let me just say this. Am I talking to somebody right now that says they're a Christian, but you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? You say you're a Christian, but you're having an affair on your spouse. You say you're a Christian, but you're lying on your tax returns. You're, you say you're a Christian, and, and you regularly tear others down and denigrate them and slander them. Hold on now. You're like the people in the church of Pergamos, and you're like Balaam. You're compromising, and that is not what God wants. Bringing us to our fourth church, identified as Thyatira, so they go from compromise with Pergamus to full-blown acceptance of sin in the church of Thyatira. Revelation two, verse nineteen. Jesus says, "I know your works, your love, your servants, your faith, and your patience. And as to your works, your last are more than your first." So, hey, commend them. I mean, there's some of you doing pretty well. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality, anything sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. So who's Jezebel? Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab. She was a wicked woman who was the queen of Israel. And uh, she believed in the worship of the false god of Baal. Jezebel was the one to put the contract out on the prophet Elijah and said, I'm gonna put that man to death. And she actually influenced the whole nation. So the church of Thyatira had grown tolerant of sin. Have you grown tolerant of sin in your life? Are there things you know you should not be doing but your conscience doesn't seem to be kicking in anymore? You know, we have a little smoke alarm in our kitchen and it's overly sensitive. Well, just this morning, Kathy was cooking something and the alarm goes off all throughout the house. There's smoke in your house. There's smoke and you go down to the kitchen, there's like hardly any smoke at all. Fortunately, the fire department did not come. An overly sensitive smoke alarm. Better to have that than one that doesn't work. Maybe you have a very tender heart, a sensitive conscience, and when you do something wrong, when you think something wrong, you feel guilt and remorse over it. Rejoice. That means your conscience is working. But if you can go and sin, if you can go and do things that the Bible says are wrong before God and not feel any pang of guilt or any remorse, something isn't working. Pray that God will resensitize your conscience.
1: Pastor Greg Laurie with practical counsel for us from our studies of Jesus' messages to the seven churches of Revelation. Be sure to join us next time for a new beginning as Pastor Greg shares more insight on the Lord's messages to the churches of Revelation and how his counsel applies to us today. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called The Seven Love Letters of Jesus to His Church. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast, along with more inspiring Christian content. Just search your app store for Vision Christian Media. Station sponsor.